We look forward to seeing you at Two Days of Truth being presented by Beyond Labels. It's our fourth annual Two Days of Truth Summit. This year's theme is Detox is for Everybody. We're bombarded by everything from chemtrails to EMFs to pesticides, herbicides, even uh, toxic people. We're going to deal with all of these aspects at the Two Days of Truth Summit coming up. Sina, give us the final information. I'm really excited about this summit. I think this is going to be our best one yet. It's June 14th and 15th at Polyface Farm. We have some fantastic speakers like Sayer G, the founder of Green Med Info, uh, Dr. Leland Stillman, who's been featured by Wise Traditions lately, Hilda Labrada-Gore, affectionately known as Holistic Hilda, you and me, of course, we also have, for the first time ever, a kids and teens program. So now the adults can enjoy the adult side while they know that their kids and their teens are having fun while also being educated by Joel, myself, and Hilda. It's going to be a blast. And this year, what we're going to do is we're going to actually teach you ancient and modern techniques for how to detoxify the body, mind, and spirit. And we're going to help you put together a personalized plan like an action plan that you can take home and start. As soon as you arrive home, you can implement this action plan and start your detoxing. You know, listen, folks, Polyface is only eight hours from half of the U.S. population. Take a long weekend, come join us, and uh, you'll rub shoulders with other like-minded people, find our tribe, and be encouraged. It's a lonely place out there lots of times, especially if you're a bit of a maverick. So come and spend time with other mavericks and get encouraged, inspired, and enthused about living a more healthy life. So I love the topic for this year, detoxification. It is one of the most important topics that we could ever address at our health summit. Because as Joel mentioned, everyone, every single person needs to know how to detoxify their body, mind, and spirit in order to achieve optimal health and wellness. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another podcast of Beyond Labels with yours truly, Joel Salatin, the farmer, and our favorite researcher, Dr. Sina McCullough. Sina just recently watched the Netflix series titled Living to 100 Secrets of the Blue Zone and has, uh, it has stimulated ideas as we you know, talk about um, living well into old age and just living well and then and then dying quickly uh you know I, I, one of the one of the i think signal features of our modern culture is that that the that people kind of get parted out um and, and 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 death or degeneration is a long very arduous slow process and the idea of people kind of in a wellness community is that you live and live and live. You, you keep your mind, you keep your faculties. And then, and then, you know, the final demise is just over a, a fairly short period, a couple months, a month, three months. And, and of course, those of us who have read a lot of Native American literature and, and, and stories, you know, uh, uh, know about primitive cultures. Often people just kind of sense the end was close and they just wandered off and, you know, and, and they were gone. Uh, and, and, you know, they, they maintained that autonomy, that, that sense of, um, of personal destiny right up toward the end. And so with all that in mind, uh, I'll turn it over to Sina and start down this kind of a, a list of nine commonalities that go along with longevity. And, um, and we'll, we'll just, uh, talk about it. And I think it'll be real uh, encouraging for all of us. Awesome. Thanks, Joel. 
So let's start out with something very basic. What is the blue zone, right? So blue zone is defined as an area, a geographical area with the highest percentage of centenarians, right? In these areas, people have reached the age of 100 at 10 times greater rates than in the United States, right? So people are wanting to know how did they do it? How do they actually get to this point where they're reaching 100 years old? Uh, you know, in the documentary, Joel, a lot of the information was just common sense for us in this field. You know, so it was kind of a recap, a good reminder, a, like kind of affirming, like, yes, I'm doing it right, you know? And then there were some inspiring things um, and some things that were good takeaways for me that I'm actually implementing in my family. And we're going to see what happens over the next few months and if we feel different and if our disposition changes. So I'll check back with you then. But I want to so, start so, by saying, so, so, let me ask you a question. So, um, so I, I haven't seen it, but, but how, um, now that you've seen it, is the overlay anywhere close to the same areas where Weston A. Price, uh, found longevity when he was studying degenerative diseases and, and, and developing his, um, his, his traditional food guidelines, you know, the Weston A. Price foundation, Weston A. Price, when he, when he found these, you know, long lived societies. Okay, so, so the five blue zones that they went to in this documentary, they were Loma Linda, California, Nicoya, Costa Rica, Sardinia, Italy, Ikaria, Greece, and Okinawa, Japan. So those they actually went to those areas and you got to see the way that the people lived and what foods they ate, you know, and how they interacted with other people. So it was... That was actually one of the biggest takeaways for me mm -hmm. was actually seeing these these people in their late 80s, throughout their 90s, and some people who were 100 and over, and you, you actually saw them. So you didn't read about them because I've read about Blue Zones before, and it's different to actually see these centenarians in action because most of us, like you said, we have a role model in our society of people who are aging and they're not very mobile, they're losing their mental capabilities, they're dependent on drugs and maybe dialysis, right? And so mm -hmm. there's kind of this fear of, oh gosh, I don't want that to happen to me as I get older, but it seems inevitable because that's how it is all around me. Right. This was so inspiring for me because mm -hmm. you they were not weak, immobile people. Right, uh, most of them were were independent. They weren't depending on anybody. Um, they first, so for example, in Costa Rica, there was a hundred year old man. He was riding horses. He was herding cows on his horses. He was cutting the grass with a machete, chopping wood. They would procure their own food and prepare it. Um, I mean, you looked at him and I thought, oh, maybe he's in his early 60s. Like that must be the son of the centenarian. But no, like that was actually him. In wow. um, in Loma Linda, there was an 84-year-old woman and she plays pickleball three hours a day, every single day. And you can see her playing it. I mean, she moves more fluidly than some people that I know in their 40s and 50s. <laughs> right? um, yeah. A couple more examples. There are 90-year-olds biking and gardening in Okinawa. Um, there were, um, in, I believe it was in Italy, there were women in their mid nineties walking uphill to attend church every day. 
There was a 105-year-old woman in Costa Rica chopping wood. Um, I mean, and the, the examples go on and on. I and mean, then, Joel, I know your mom, she recently turned 100, right? My um, my maternal grandmother, she passed away when she was 96. And, you know, it was really cool. She actually was at Pearl Harbor when it was attacked. She was 15 at the time. Wow. Uh, so she lived through that. Yeah, her father was second in command at the time. And then after the attack, he they put him first in command. So she's re recounted the stories about it. And, you know, it, it's it's really breathtaking that uh, a, a moving um, example in our families, you know, love. Yeah, so, so, yeah. So my mom, you know, just turned uh, 100 on December 11th, just, you know, a month ago. And uh, and uh, my my, you know, the way I kind of put a peg in the significance of that is to realize, you know, when, when we meet somebody who was alive at Pearl Harbor, you know, we, Oh, you four or five, do you remember anything? What do you remember? That sort of thing. Mom was 18 at Pearl Harbor. She was already 18 years old, you know, at Pearl Harbor. So that kind of helps to helps to peg it uh, too. Yeah. Like your story. Yeah. It's remarkable. Um, my, my grandfather, my paternal grandfather, he was almost 99 when he died. He was like a month or two shy of 99. He was so mobile, mentally sharp. He was active. Um, he was actually um, in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the oldest paper boy. He started delivering newspapers in 1947, you know, on foot, walking them. And up until his mid-90s, Joel, he was still de delivering the papers on that same paper route. Yeah, oh in his mid-90s, he would bike to and from work. Like, he he owned um, he, he owned the paper, the newspaper. You know, oh. later he sold it oh. later in life, but he did own a newspaper. And so he would bike, you know, the several blocks to and from work like every day. And wow. up until just a couple, I think just a couple months before he died, he was still writing a weekly column. Mm -hmm. Right. So totally still active and sharp. So there's all right. these great examples. Like like there are some here in America, you know, other than Loma Linda, where you have these people living vibrant, joyful, capable lives all the way up until the moment that they pass away close to 100. So for me, this was one of the big takeaways is that there isn't anything to fear. Like sometimes people I talk to are like, oh, I don't want to live that long because I don't want to be, you know, dependent on the system. I don't want to have that decline, all those years of decline. And we see all these great examples of it doesn't have to be that way, right? Longevity can be joyful. It doesn't mm -hmm. need to be painful or torturous. And that was another cool thing about this is that it they were living long, healthy lives, what I say living well to 100, without actually trying. So they're not actively trying to seek this fountain of youth. They're like, give me the next right. supplement on the market that's the, uh -huh. the newest snake oil. You know what I mean? They weren't actually trying. They were living balanced, healthy lives. And so- what I want to do is just go into these commonalities that these researchers found and really highlight some of them that um, I think, at least for my family, we have decided to really put our intention on those this year. Okay. So let's quickly go through the list. And I would love for you to jump in and let us know too, like, does this list check the box for your mom and other relatives in your family that live to 100? And I'll do the same with my grandparents, right? So we can compare notes here. Okay, 
So commonalities amongst the blue zones. So in other words, amongst the people who are living the longest, number one, they had a sense of purpose. Every morning they had a reason to wake up, right? This was true also for my grandparents. Like I said, my grandfather got up. His purpose was to go write his column, deliver the newspapers. My grandmother, her purpose was a little different. She had already retired, but volunteering is a gives you a sense of purpose. And Loma Linda, that was one of the biggest senses of purpose was volunteer efforts through their church. Um, so my grandmother would volunteer all the time. She had a church community that she would volunteer with. She went to Friends of the Library and volunteered. So she was very vibrant and active in that category. It does the same hold true for your relatives, Joel, who are near 100? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, mom, after my dad passed away, uh, I think I think mom ended up being in almost 20 uh, volunteer organizations. I mean, her 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 daily calendar was way fuller than mine. Wow. And, and and I mean, she just she was just in every kind of local volunteer organization. And, and you know, even up into her 90s, um, she 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 was driving. She, she didn't stop driving until she was 97. And so, you know, at 94, 95, 96, she was in a, a group called, um, I can't help but share this because it's so funny. Uh, she was in a group called, um, uh, what do they call themselves? The um, Anyway, uh, they, they sang old old hymns, happy notes, happy notes. That's what they were, happy notes. Oh, uh, I love that. And, and so they would sing it at these, uh, so it was a bunch of retirees. And they sang really, really well. They were good. And they would sing at nursing homes around, nursing home retirement centers. And so she would pop in. Here she is, you know, 93, 94, 95. She pops into the house and says, well, we're going to sing to the old folks. <laughs> and she was 94, 95. And most of the people she was singing for were, you know, younger than she was. And she said, we're going to sing to the old folks, you know. Uh, and, and so that was just, you know, that was just uh, a normal, normal for, for her. I love that because... That piggybacks on one of the categories of commonalities of blue zones. It's not just a sense of purpose, but it it is like kind of your perception of life, right? Your outlook on life. And there your mom is not even clumping herself with like the old folks, quote unquote, you know, like that. She didn't view herself that way. And I think that's so important, right? The way that you view yourself, not only your role in society, but even your place in getting older, you know, like I, I don't view myself as getting older uh, mm -hmm. because I feel happier and healthier than ever before in my life. So, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, so well, I don't you know, think of that. Yeah, I, I've been blessed to know of, 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 of several centenarians. Another one was my wife, Teresa's uh, um, grandmother, uh, who lived to 106 months. And then she had an, um, she had an, uh, she also had a sister who lived to 102. But uh, for for we call it, you know Grandma Mason Cup Teresa's grandmother, um, I, th I think I think this one really goes along with her this perception of life. She um, she she was kind of opposite my mother. My mother was going 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 Grandma Mason Cup. Um, her thing was that her perception of life. She was just content. She was content. She she could find happiness in going and um, and sitting by the garden watching watching butterflies all day. And so, so her perception of life was not, I've got to be busy, 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 or I've got this, that, and the other uh, kind of, um, you know, requirements for me. It was just contentment, contentment in life, contentment in the situation. And uh, I, that always just really, really struck me um, how, how she was able to be that, that satisfied, easily satisfied and content. 
end mm -hmm. situation. Yeah, it's like she found inner peace. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is an important quality for living long and well. <laughs> uh, so the the next common commonality among the longest lived people was the majority of them belong to a faith-based community. So not and not only did they belong to a faith-based community, they made a point to say that they showed up and they engaged in the community, right? They were active members of that community. Now, this is true for both my grandparents, right? They both went to church, um, you know, at least once a week and they engaged in church activities and my grandma would take us to church after school and whatnot. So faith was definitely an integral part um, of, you know, of their lifestyle. Was it true for your mom oh, and Teresa's? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, grandma was faithful uh, at, at, at church attendance and she had her little tithe box on the mantle and, and mom, you know, mom uh, wrote to missionaries and she was very engaged in the local church as well. They, yeah. They were both uh, women of, of, of great faith and engagement uh, in that perspective. Yeah. Oh, so, so far then we are agreeing with yeah. the outcome of this documentary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very much yeah. so. Okay, well, now let's let's see as we keep moving forward. Do we disagree or are we challenging? <laughs> okay, so the next commonality amongst the Blue Zone is they moved naturally. So I thought this was interesting. It was common sense, but it was kind of like, you know, all of a sudden someone said it a little bit differently and it clicked a different way in my mind. So the the people who are living the longest they're not exercising like we do for the most part in the United States where we're like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to go lift weights or I'm going to go out for a run. Like they did not do things like that. They didn't carve out these specific times to go exercise. Instead, they moved naturally throughout the day. So they moved more than we do and it was spread out throughout the day. So for instance, they would walk to work or ride their bike to work. They would walk to church. They would walk to friends' houses, uh, you know, to various uh, people who they would visit. Um, they said that most of them didn't have machines to help them with housework or yard work. So like the centenarian I mentioned who would cut the grass with a machete, right? They would chop wood. They would um, grow their own food. So they were outside gardening, right? Which also gives them access to more sunlight, but that's another topic. Um, they would prepare their food differently than we do as well, which is also requiring movement. So they might mill the corn with a crank, right? Manually crank it instead of plugging in the mill, you know, <laughs> to the power outlet. Um, yeah. So yeah. they were more, they, they were assessed, the researchers assessed that they were more active than we are. And they were yeah. much more active than if they were, say, going to the gym. And also it was their concept of it. So in america we typically think of suffering when we think of exercise right like no you hear the terms no pain no gain right you just push through it and so yeah. it's like a miserable thing that we have on our to-do list that we don't look forward to but for them physical activity was actually joyful right yeah the, the marines the marines have a saying uh, uh pain is weakness leaving the body you know that's yeah. their that that's their thing and yeah, um, I man, I, I love this, uh, Sina, because um, what it, what it means is being a couch potato, but then then getting up getting up and going to do your half hour workout at the gym, yeah. 
is not nearly as good as just a lifestyle of a lifestyle of movement where you're just naturally um, uh, moving because it's part of your, you know, it's, it's part of your life. Exactly. And this ties into the community aspect because one of the ways that people in these blue zones are moving naturally is through dance and celebration. So this this blends in a few categories. So what they were saying was that So is like, is, it, is this a, is this a new category? So this is going to this is going to encompass three categories. Natural okay. movement, community and um how they de-stress. All right? So what they said was these people who are living the longest, they experience stress, you know, just like we're experiencing stress, right? So you're not, you can't avoid stress and stress by itself is not a bad thing, right? It gets a bad rap in our culture, but mm -hmm. it is not a bad thing. Stress um, is required to help you adapt, to grow, to build your resilience, right? Like when we think of moving our bodies around, well, the typical example of exercise, that's providing a stress on your body. So even dance, dance is providing a stress on your body. So you adapt and get stronger, right? So stress by itself isn't a bad thing. It's actually, it's how you handle the stress, how you can manage the stress. And so this is um, one of the differences between us and, and these people who live long, longer than us, is that their stress is more of local stress. So for instance, if somebody is having a, uh, a problem with hurting their flock, right? A problem came up, they're stressed about it, and but they're able to uh, remedy the problem. So they solve it. And so what happens is they complete that stress cycle within their body, right? Stress elicits the cycle. We've talked about this before on the program with um, rewiring your nervous system how most mm -hmm. of us go into fight or flight, we can't complete the cycle and then to get back into parasympathetic state and we stay in this activated heightened state of stress, right? So they don't do that. They have these localized problems that they're managing. And once they complete, um, successfully complete the problem, like solve the problem, they let the stress go. That's different than our stress where they're saying a lot of ours comes from this 24 hour news cycle. And this bombardment with social media, which these are all, these all have a heaviness or a negativity to them, or, or at least a leaning towards negativity. And those are all things that we can't solve by ourselves. So we're exposing ourselves to all these problems that we don't really have control over. And so we can't complete that stress response cycle. Whereas these people who are living longer, they're deplugged for the most part from all of these more external stresses. They handle the ones that are right in front of them. They complete them and they have that sense of accomplishment and they can let the stress go. This is very different than what we do in our culture. Right. Well, you know, and and it's uh, it's totally parallel with Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which is, of course, an iconic, you know, uh, a business self-improvement book. And uh, and and one of his one of the habits is stay within your sphere of influence. And his whole point there is when you when you go outside your sphere of influence and take on burden burdens and and uh, whatever stress of things that you can't do anything about, um, you you end up 
you end up actually shrinking your sphere of influence. And if you and, and so if you think about the things that people, uh, whatever, uh, uh, get angry, frustrated, or or stressed about today, ninety percent of it is stuff that that you can't do anything about. So you know, people come to me and say, "Aren't aren't you stressed about the the Federal Reserve? You know, the interest rates. You know what? There's nothing in the world that I can do tomorrow that'll affect Janet Yellen. You know, and what she's doing at the Federal Reserve. So so, um, but you know what? I can. I can really affect uh, whether my cows are healthy, whether my you know garden has tomato plants in it, and and so um, yeah, I man, I I share this. Um, I don't know, I don't know if I'm gonna live long or not, but I, I certainly appreciate and in my own life just the, the 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 living the living close and in the moment, uh, and not carrying not carrying the the weight and the burden of all these things that are outside of our control, man, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful point. Thank you for joining us on Beyond Labels. Our mission with this podcast is to make it accessible to everyone. But we are behind a paywall because the issues we discuss are often subject to censorship. We run into that. And so we have an extremely modest paywall to let us have the freedom to discuss the kind of issues we want to discuss in the way we want to discuss them. And you can become a member and enjoy all this content by clicking on the description box below. We look forward to having you join our family.